Hello, my name is Diane Schindler. You are listening to In the Know. This podcast show includes writing tips, travel tips, and my views of life from savvy and thoughtful to quirky and humorous. I hope you enjoy the show. Hello, and welcome to the first episode of 2020. It's going to be a great year. It's going to be an exciting interview, too. I have Paula Stone Tucker, an award-winning author. Tucker was just 30 yards in front of the National Guard when they fired into a crowd of students on May 4th, 1970 at Kent State University. A retired clinical psychologist, she worked with families, couples, and survivors of trauma and abuse. In her younger days, she was a reporter for the Akron Beacon Journal and the Daily Kent Stater. She grew up in Cuyahoga Falls, Ohio, and graduated from Kent State University. And now she splits her time between Northeast, Northeast Ohio and the villages in Florida where she writes, she plays the flute, and she says she's learning to play golf. Her first book, and what we're gonna be talking about today, her first book is entitled Surviving, a Kent State Memoir. It is the silver medal award winner in the memoir and biography category of the Florida Writers Association 2019 Literary Award Competition. Quite an impressive, Bio, Paula, welcome to the show. Oh, thank you, Diane. I'm so glad you're here. I'm so glad to meet you. Yes, I'm, I'm happy to be here, too. And you and I hail from the same state of Ohio, so this is like, we, we definitely have to meet in person at some point. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, Paula, that would be great. Yeah, so Paula, I'm here in Amelia Island, Florida, and Paula is at a remote location at the Villages. So we're really happy that she could join us today. So we have a series of wonderful questions that are just gonna bring out um, all the wonderful work that Paula has done. First of all, tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, like you said, um, I was standing uh, 30 yards in front of the Ohio National Guard when they fired into a crowd of students on May 4th in 1970. Um, the way I got there is that I, I was born in Ohio and I grew up outside of Akron and then I went to Kent State. Um, since then I've lived in Northern California for almost 25 years and uh, lately I've been living in the villages in Florida. That is fantastic. I, I'm coming to the villages. I'm looking forward to meeting you there in February. Great. So tell us about your writing journey. I, I mentioned in your bio that you have experience in journalism. So how did you come to write this book? Well, um, my life has been unusual. So when people hear me tell my story, they say, you should write a book. And finally, after my uh, parents died, I did write a book. But I had to learn how to write differently than um, I'd learned as a, a journalist. And so that took quite a while. That took about five years to learn how to write in an interesting way. 
And so the first book I wrote was about my life, and my uh, experiences at Kent State. And, and so the difference, I just wanted to ask you another question about the difference between writing as a journalist and writing a memoir. What was different about that? Well, um, of course, I went to school back in the 1960s, like another century. And yeah. back then, <laughs> uh, we were taught to uh, leave emotion out of our writing and uh, to uh, just present uh, facts as they were told to us by whoever it was that we were interviewing. So what I needed to learn was how to put emotion in my writing so that people would uh, be interested in it. So tell us, uh, tell us about your book. Well, um, I uh, started out as a really naive uh, Catholic high school graduate. Uh, went to Catholic school for 12 years, and uh, high school was uh, uh, at an all-girls school. Um, I uh, thought I wanted to join the convent, so I applied, and I was rejected. I was uh, told that I was too immature and that I should go to college for a year and then reapply. Well, that's what I did. I, I first of all had to work for a year to uh, save up money, and then I went to Kent State. Um, the first month I was there, I met uh, a boy who seemed interesting, and I found forgot all about the convent. <laughs> uh, so, so th this is the story of our life, and uh, when we were seniors at Kent State, uh, in our very last month there. Uh, that was when the May 4th uh, shootings occurred, and um, I was present for those. I was on campus that day selling, uh, uh, or taking, uh, taking orders for the yearbook, and um, the yearbook and the newspaper office were in the building that the guard marched around to um, uh, follow students uh, that were they were chasing off of the commons. That had to be the most frightening experience. I mean, it. I remember it receiving international attention. I mean, you know, there are a lot of people, listeners, I assume, that may not even know much about the Kent event. Can you can you give yeah. us a brief overview of that? Well, sure. Um, to start off, it was the night of uh, April 30th, the president, uh, President Nixon, announced that there would be um, uh, an incursion of um, United States troops into Cambodia. It raised a lot of concern among people that were against the war, and a lot of the people on college campuses were against the war. They demonstrated uh, Thursday night, Friday night, and uh, there were some little uh, incidents in, t in town, and the town of Kent was very small and had basically uh, maybe a four-block area where uh, people went to bars on, on the weekend. Uh, so anyway, there were incidents on Friday night where um, uh, trash cans were lit on fire and there were some windows broken. And of course, the people in the town were outraged about that. Um, 
but the students uh, persisted and uh, in their um, uh, anti-war activities. And so there were some demonstrations on Saturday night. And uh, at one of the demonstrations on Saturday night, uh, someone uh, threw uh, maybe a Molotov cocktail or something that was lit. And it started one of the ROTC buildings on fire. And that building burned to the ground. And um, at that point, the uh, National Guard, the Ohio National Guard, was called into Kent. And so I was present on Saturday night. Were you involved in that demonstration on Saturday night yourself? Well, I, I was, I followed the demonstration. The people marched around campus mm -hmm. and, and gathered as many students as they could. And so I was uh, following that group around campus until they got to the commons and I stayed there and watched. Yeah, and I was I was married at the time, and I was with my husband, and he was a reporter for the the um, student radio station, and so he was recording what was going on. Did you sense the level of danger at that moment, or no? No, actually, it was more like a a carnival atmosphere. Um, the 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 month of April had been horrible. Um, as you know, in Ohio, it can be freezing and cold and sleeting in April. And it had been like that up until the first day of May. Um, and then the temperature went up to 70 and the sun came out. And so people were in a excited mood. They were, um, they had, um, uh, you know, it was an atmosphere like a panty raid where people were happy and laughing and joking. <laughs> I wonder, I'm going to have to put a definition in the <laughs> show notes of what a panty raid is. I know right, I is. guess so. Anyway. Yeah, anyway, so continue. I'm, I'm sorry for interrupting. Okay, so um, then we just went home. We were living off campus. And uh, later on, my husband went back to um, uh, what we thought would be a demonstration on Sunday night. And indeed, there, there was a demonstration. People marched around campus and ended up at the front gate of campus. And uh, some of the uh, students were injured by the guards' bayonets, although there's no, no clear story about how that happened. So uh, that was Sunday night. And then Monday morning, I was supposed to be working, uh, taking reservations for yearbooks. So my husband dropped me off at Taylor Hall, which was the journalism building. And I got out of the car and he yelled to me, now don't go to any demonstrations today. And I said, oh, I won't. And so I went in and sat in the library at, at Taylor Hall for about uh, two and a half hours. It's an extremely boring morning because nobody showed up to reserve their yearbook. Um, bell on the commons ringing. And what that usually meant was that they uh, 
someone was calling people to gather on the commons. So I thought, well, I've got to go out there and see what's going on. And there had been rumors that there was to be a, um, a, a, a protest, a demonstration on the commons at noon that day. So I went outside about 1130 and um, there were lots of people, maybe hundreds of people standing on a hill that is at the uh, one end of the commons that goes up to Taylor Hall where I was working and just watched what was going on. And then, and then the shoot, is that when the shooting occurred? Well, um, what happened was um, it, it, as events ensued, uh, the guard fired some tear gas and I, uh, the, the fumes from the tear gas uh, wafted up the hill and I got tear gas in my eyes. And so I ran into the building to wash my eyes out. And when I came back, uh, the big crowd that had been on the hill and on the, uh, the edge of the commons was gone. Uh, and so I couldn't figure out where they went, L looked around the side of the building and I saw the last of the demonstrators uh, walking over the crest of the hill. Uh, towards the front of Taylor Hall and um, so I walked up that way and I saw that um, uh, the guard had gone down the hill and across what's known as the practice football field. Uh, well, they, they didn't realize that there was a, a fence on the other side of the practice football field so they couldn't. So they couldn't get to the they were blocked by this fence? That's right, yeah. They were blocked by the fence. So they turned around and came back across the football field. And they kind of paused in the middle of the field for uh, a couple minutes. And they, a couple of them uh, crouched into a kneeling position and uh, lifted their rifles. But gosh, that, again, yeah, you saw all this. That has I to did. be. I just well, can't imagine. Really, you know, the atmosphere was more like a, a carnival or a festival. I certainly didn't think that they had uh, live ammunition in their guns. And um, I don't think that anyone else did either. Even people I've talked to who were in the military uh, before this incident uh, didn't think that they had ammunition. Anyway. And they started walking back up the hill at the side of Taylor Hall. And I thought they were leaving. And so I just, I was walking down the hill on a path, cement path, and I just kept on walking. And, um, you know, within a few seconds, I heard pops. And I thought they were firecrackers. I looked over my shoulder. And I could see that some of the guard were kneeling at the top of the hill and there were puffs of smoke coming from their guns. So I thought, well, that's weird. You know, why would they be doing that? But I had on a new dress and I, I was five months pregnant at the time. So I was wearing dresses and um, I didn't want to get my dress dirty. 
woods and where I was standing was all uh, dirt and sticks and leaves. And so I saw that there was a, um, a stairway over at the entrance to Taylor Hall. So I walked over there and lay down on the steps. I, just about the time that um, I got to the steps, they had finished firing. Other people I, I noticed were, were had hit the dirt. They were laying on the ground. And I thought, well, maybe, maybe blanks can hurt you. I thought they were firing blanks. And so finally I lifted my head and I most of the people were still laying on the ground, but some people slowly stood up and there was a kid in the driveway, uh, maybe 20 feet in front of me. And um, he was, was laying uh, flat on his face. And I thought, oh, he tripped. And um, then I kept watching him and uh, blood started trickling from his head. So I thought, wow, he, he really hit his head hard when he tripped. And then I noticed there were other people that were not getting up. And so I started to count, you know, the number of people that were still on the ground. And I would get up to four or five, and I'd think, oh, I didn't register that they had been shot. And then um, the people that had finally stood up started screaming, some of them, some of the women, and, um, and, and rushing to help the people that were still on the ground. And I realized, oh, this is this is worse than what I thought. And about that time, a student came over and turned uh, the body over that was laying in the driveway. And that was Jeffrey Miller. Well, he was one. There were four that were killed. I, I slowly dawned on me that this was not what I thought it was. It wasn't a festival. It wasn't a carnival that, that the guard were, were shooting people. It was a very difficult time, almost the tipping point of what was happening in the United States with all kinds of points. Um, yeah. 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 Well, thank you so much. I appreciate that. Now, when you and I were putting together the questions, I didn't even ask you that question. And I, I got to thinking, boy, we want to we want to play by play. I think the readers would want to play by play. So thank you so much for for telling sure. us about that now so when you wrote this memoir who did you write it for and what made you decide to write it and why now well i uh, started out to write it for my my family and then i uh met some people some young people in their 20s who said uh that they did not know anything about the vietnam era and that they were uh, reading as, as many books as they could about Vietnam. And so I realized, well, this is part of that story about Vietnam. And really, uh, the Kent State shootings were a pivotal point in the war where there was uh, probably a balanced sentiment about um, you know people that were for the war, people that were against the war. And then when the shootings happened, people started realizing that, 
oh, they're they're killing our our children. Yeah, so that really put a separation. Right, right, and and that was one of the uh, impetus to the ending of the war. So anyway, that was I wrote it uh, because I realized that there had been a few. Uh, historical books about Kent State, but there wasn't anything that was a personal account. Mm -hmm. Well, that's fantastic then that you are the first to write the personal account. We appreciate that. Now, what do you think is the central theme or the message for surviving a Kent State memoir? The, the memoir is also about my life at Kent State, and it turns out that I was in an abusive relationship, and so theme or message of the book is uh, that you need to find courage within yourself and that there is hope uh, for people who, who think they're in a, an awful uh, predicament and can't figure out how to get out of it. Well, and that's why you referenced in your um, information to me as we were emailing back and forth, you said in your email, quote, since then I have had many adventures and misadventures as a single woman. And I was gonna ask you what that was about. And so this was about, if I may say so, the abuse that you suffered? Uh, yeah, and then uh, beyond that, uh, that, wasn't, that wasn't long lasting. But just learning how to be a single parent and uh, live in the world on my own uh, led me into a lot of, uh, uh, let's say, missteps and <laughs> predicaments. What do you think is the single most important value that comes out of your book that readers will gain from reading your book? Um, well, I hope that an understanding of uh, you know, what their, probably their parents or grandparents went through. And the other thing uh, for people of my age who are actually interested in the book, people that were in school in the late 60s, early 70s, um, I think what's important is that this uh, time in history parallels what was going on back then in the late 60s and early 70s. There was a divide in the country and the divide became so wide that it was possible for people to justify the killing of innocent students on a campus. Um, and so it's kind of a cautionary tale mm -hmm. about what can happen if um, there's no communication across the divide. Yeah, that's a really good descriptor of what's happening today. What's the best thing that's, that has come to you because of your book, and, and maybe just because of your writing in general? The book is brand new, so I hope the best is yet to come. <laughs> uh, but <laughs> so far, um, what's uh, been most important to me is the connection that I've made with readers. And um, I have uh, two types of people that come up to me. And, and talk to me. One uh, it is uh, a group of people that say, oh, I went through something similar and I really relate to your book. Uh, and that would be the, the uh, domestic violence or the abuse part. Mm -hmm. And then the other thing that people 
want to talk about. Uh, they want to tell me where they were and what they thought when they heard about Kent State. And so it's similar to when Kennedy was assassinated or mm -hmm. when the 9-11, uh, when the towers fell, that people have an emotional connection to it. And they want to tell you about their emotional connection. So that's very important to me. Yeah, that's rewarding, I'm sure. Very rewarding mm -hmm. for you. I wanted to let you know that I have two presentations scheduled in February of 2020, both on podcasting. The first presentation is to the writers group at the Villages in Florida on February 12th, and then again to the Amelia Island writers in Fernandina Beach, Florida on February 25th. Please join me if you're in the area and note there is no admission fee. Email me at diane at dianeabroad.com for more information. And if you'd like for me to speak to your organization on podcasting or writing tips or my international solo nomad travels, please contact me at that same address, diane at dianeabroad.com. You can check the episode notes for more contact information. Thank you so much. Paula, what is the best comment or review you have received? I read your reviews on Amazon, but tell and they're all fantastic, all fives, good good ratings. So, what's your favorite? Um, I think my favorite is uh, one that is, is not up on Amazon yet, and uh, the person that reviewed it said that it was a very heartfelt book, and that that meant a lot to me. It meant that it, it connected with the person who was reading it and that I was able to get across the um, emotion that uh, was uh, going on at that point in my life. So tell me about the Silver Medal Memoir Award from the Florida Writers Association. That's very impressive. Congratulations on that. Oh, well, thank you. Uh, it was a, a wonderful honor. Um, I was up against the best writers in Florida, and, and so the award told me that uh, what I wrote was uh, significant, uh, that they thought it was meaningful. Now, who do you think should read your book? Well, I would say anybody who wonders about the Vietnam era, and um, so that would be uh, younger people. What I've been told, uh, I don't know if it's true or not, but that uh, they were not taught about this in history. And um, so this would be a way of finding out about that. And of course, it would also um, be meaningful to anybody that's uh, struggling uh, in their own life, that they could uh, identify with uh, somebody else who had struggles and see that, that they might be able to get through their own. But I wanted to let our listeners know that um, in the show notes, in the episode notes for this, for this episode today, I will have um, a photo of the cover of your book, 
as well as um, the link to Amazon so they can buy your book. So people need to make sure to check the, the uh, show notes. So before we end, I want to ask you what you are working on now. Are you working on another book? Or are you or are you still working on your marketing? <laughs> well, let's say I'm I'm thinking of ideas for my next project right now, and I am working on marketing this book. Yeah, good for you. Well, this this has been such a pleasure, and thank you so much for taking time to talk with us today. I want to make sure that we've covered everything that you want to say. Do you have any final comments before we close? Well, I just say I, I have a website. It's uh, paulastonetucker.com with no spaces. And um, my book is Surviving a Kent State Memoir, and it's available on Amazon.com. And it's also available through Barnes & Noble. Good, and I will have that information and those links in the program notes. Thank you, Paula Tucker, well, thank award-winning you. author. Thank you so much. I look forward. I'm going to be in the villages, and I hope that I get to see you around. I think it's February 12th, somewhere around that time. So great. I, good, good chatting with you. Have a great All right. day. Thank, Thank you. you. Thanks so much for listening. If you would like to support In The Know, you can do so by subscribing and sharing In The Know with your family and friends. You can like this episode. You can leave a comment and even add a rating. Your support is very important to our success. And thank you so much for listening. See you next time on In The Know.